right. I am going to give a disclaimer slash apologize in advance because it was a friend's birthday today. And we did one of those uh, Zoom celebrations. And I don't drink a lot on a normal, but I had like a sip and a half or something. Mm-hmm. And I felt a little toasty. So I drank a, like a shit ton of gla- uh, glasses of water. So like I should be fine. But I'm going to power through this and not slur my words and be comprehensible. All right, cool. where we break down what it means to be a black creative in an attempt to defy the myth of a black monolith and have dope conversations with each other in the process. For more info on how to listen or how to support the continuation of this series, visit whatisblackpodcast.com for links to podcast services and our donations page. This year, Thanksgiving is going to be wild different. New president, same pandemic, same traditional colonial bullshit with a side of cranberry sauce don't give me that cranberry sauce in a can shit sauce is supposed to be liquid i shouldn't be able to slice through sauce with a butter knife i shouldn't be able to poke sauce with a fork and that shit jiggles cranberry sauce in a can is a crime against humanity and must be stopped at all costs you want to talk about ruining thanksgiving Offer me a side of that reddish corruption and watch plates fly. This is a hill I am willing to die on. Also, breakfast sausage and stuffing is tasty as fuck. Don't at me. What's up, everybody? I'm Jason McCoy, that N-word that's just so damn absurd. And I'm here with Kandaka Rose. How's it going, Kandaka? It's going great. How you doing? I'm, I'm hanging in there. You know, it's fucking tough being black these days. <laughs> I mean, I don't know when it was ever easy being black, but like, it seems especially difficult nowadays. So why don't you tell us a, bit, a little bit about yourself and the work that you produce? Well, I've always been a creative, so that's pretty much my core. Um, and I say that generally because I could pretty much create anything. As of right now, currently, I'm a private chef creating the food. Um, outside of that, I paint mostly with acrylics. And I paint any type of surfaces, whether it be walls, from shoes to bags to anything. I'm pretty versatile. I make bracelets. I make rings. Um, I'm very, very useful with my hands. And that's pretty much taken me everywhere I wanted to go in life so far. Dope. So the first question I wanted to ask, it's like a, it's very close to my heart. Uh, it's like, it's, you know, it's kind of serious and I don't take it lightly, like lightly when I ask this question and I might get a little bit choked up, but, um, how do I get my hands on a pair of those customized Tim's? (laughs) (laughs) All you have to do, email me or call, text me, place your order. Simple as that. All right, because those shits are dope, <laughs> especially being a New Yorker. Like, walking around, walk around these streets of Pittsburgh, it's just not the same, like, because people don't understand how versatile Timberlands are. Right. It's a work boot. It's a fashion statement. 
They could be basketball shoes if you need them to be. <laughs> they could like hold the table up when the legs aren't even. Yeah, it's very classic New York to the point where if I see it in any other state, I'm like, whoa, whoa, what are you guys doing with Tim's down here? Yeah, and it's just like it doesn't feel the same. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's like they could be rocking them properly, but they're still not. It doesn't feel authentic. Yeah, New York, you know? Right. <laughs> So you mentioned you just mentioned that you like you're very versatile with your hands and you work in um, many mediums, at least applying uh, color to many mediums. So what makes the better canvas for you? Actual canvas, walls or human flesh? I would say probably wood. Wood is, is one of one of my favorites. Yeah. So well, what Wood. because you know once once you paint on wood as you paint in a certain way you can allow the wood grain and just all the characteristics of that specific piece of wood shine through so you can kind of work with nature in a sense very smooth it's like really really easy to work with that's one of my best best mediums wood is dope because of by nature, each piece of wood is going to be different from the next. So no two pieces are going to be the same. So you could actually paint the same thing on two pieces of wood, but it's, it's going to be different because of the knots in the wood and the grain and like the, uh, like, you know, the multiple textures of the different types of wood. Right. So what made, so what made you, how'd you discover wood as like a medium? That's it. Wow. I don't think I've ever thought about that. Um, I want to say just having like scrap pieces of wood around mm-hmm. and trying things out on that and eventually actually creating pieces based off of the wood. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke with another artist. That's really pretty much my main thing as a person, period. It's just, I'm not afraid to try things. So even if I don't know what's going on or like how to use it properly, I'm still going to try it, research it, you know, speak to someone who's a professional at doing it, watch them and try and mimic what they're doing. So I think just wood, you know, being a nature-based person caught my eye. So. Right. Yeah, I spoke with another artist and they were talking about like the, in- the ingenuity of black people, how we like um, a lot of black art seems to be like pieced together. Even if it's not taking different pieces and putting them together, it's like taking from different uh, perspectives or different like uh, genres or different techniques and placing them together, and making it wholly something unto itself. Um, so, like, definitely, like what you're saying, it like lends to that. It's just like finding those scrap pieces because, I mean, perfectly honest, like we've been dealt scraps for our entire existence in America, so. It's, it's just basically us reclaiming that uh, idea concept of making something out of virtually nothing. Right. Yeah, that's how I feel. I, I don't ever, you know, say that anyone else is to blame for anywhere I am in life. And so I won't give them that much power over me. Mm. I can always use my hands to create and do, like you said, something out of nothing. You know, I can literally go and pick up a piece of cardboard and paint something and probably be able to sell that. That's dope. So that brings up 
another thing that I found interesting about your work is that you have managed to merchandise a lot of your art, um, reproducing it on anything from yoga mats to socks to phone cases. Was merchandising always part of the plan or was it more of a sudden growth process that was that ended up as that with that as a result? It was definitely a sudden growth process because uh, I didn't even have that thought in my head to create art, to make a sale or to, you know, um, make a living off of it. I just like to do it, you know, and then eventually when I got into the business side of things, then it just made sense as Mm -hmm. an artist. And like, you know, I've always just been just doing pieces over and over and like, you know, new ones or custom pieces for people without really having anything for myself. So I feel like I, I put in an 80 hour work week and then look back, I'm like, wait, what did I just do? You know what I mean? Because either I sold everything, the originals, or, you know what I mean? I just didn't have enough for myself that I can literally look at. So <clears throat> I actually interned with this major um, Chinese artist, like really, really old guy, actually. Um, and his kids ran his foundation. So what they would do is take these like bullshit ass digital photos <laughs> of his paint, of his original paintings. And his son, this is what I would do. I would zoom in like probably like three, four hundred times and like take out all the dust and like straighten things and like stretch the edge so that it's flat. Instead of like sometimes you take a picture from here or from, the, you know what I mean? I would have to just fix everything up. And his son had this like ridiculous printer. He would print them out full scale and that's what they would sell. So I noticed him like, like he had a whole room, a temperature control room of full of canvases, right? And <clears throat> so when I asked that question, he was like, oh, we never sell the original. No way. He was like, we sell prints. That's it. We keep the original. And so as many prints or like a limited copy of prints or however. So that's when I really started to build that I need to be able to be versatile with that product. I can create one piece of art and then from that I can create bags, shoes, whatever, you name it. So, Right. And so would you say like the merchandising of your art has been your most profitable endeavor? Um, I would say it's just as profitable as my pieces because I do charge a, a, a nice amount for them. So I've, I've made some decent money off of them. But the merch is also in its own aspect. You know, it's kind of like neck and neck. And how does an artist like this, like similar, not the same, but similar or in a similar situation as you, how would you recommend they go about uh, merchandising their art to get bigger bags? Definitely find um, a company or maybe hopefully local, that would be the best because you could just go in there, who produces things like that, who either does shirts or um, prints, get familiar with any art galleries around or any framing stores that they usually do art prints there. So anyone that you can have that type of relationship with will help you so much. Because then you don't necessarily have to go and search and find who can produce this. And then you can establish that relationship where you have um, the confidence in their their quality, right? 
Um, and then also having a space because if you want to have inventory and keep things um, in a certain state, you're going to have to have the space to do that. You know, you have to think about all the little things that you go into a store and buy. All the little things that come with it, the hang tags, you know, your signature, little things like that will create um, or it'll help you create longevity in this game. Mm. So it's all about longevity, basically. And when it comes to like making money, whether that be from assigning the prices of the artwork or just like opening up, like, you know, like an account with a gallery so that like they can continue to showcase your work. Where does the responsibility lie for that, like making the money? Does it lie with the artist on the promotion, the the patron of the arts or the platform? I mean, the artist, essentially, because the artist has to be able to set all of that up. Um, but I do feel like, depending on the level that you want to reach, you can always hire someone in that field who's a professional in that field. So you don't necessarily have to deal with certain things yourself, like financial advice and things like that. You're going to want to have people along those lines to guide you in the right ways to make the correct decisions. You doing it all by yourself, it's hard. And I'm not saying nobody can do that, but... Why? If you have people that you can go and hire, you have places like Fiverr, you can go and hire people that do these things every day when you don't, you know what I mean? It'll just be better if you just get a professional to handle and help you grow. So would you say having a strong business acumen is almost better than being excellent at creative expression? Well, that depends. And you can always have someone, like, let's say you have a partner that is the business person and you are the creative, strictly. You know, creative and business, they just, they can work together, yeah, but they just, they usually don't. You know, it's two different sides of the brain. So I would say if that's your focus, focus on that. But if you want to be a creative, I would get someone who is, you know, in that field and can actually assist you. Right, it's better, like, I don't have a brain for money, but I like making money. So that's why it's just, like, when it comes to certain things, I always, like, go to like go to someone else. Like, especially, like, taxes, they oh, will yeah. fucking kill you. Like, taxes will absolutely destroy you. And I feel like a lot of creatives in general, but speaking of, like, black creatives and, like, some, like, black people just don't know how to, like, manage that because it's a system that, that didn't have us in mind and it never had the intention of educating us right. on that system. So it's just, like, I feel like a lot of, like, black creatives get so caught up in that financial game and end up losing out because they don't have that education. Absolutely. So if you don't have the education, you might as well just get somebody that, like, knows right. it, whether that yeah. be, like, a patron or a partner or something like that that could, like, hook you up with those skills there aren't like many there are and i know personally a ton of black women that are artists but why do you feel black women are so underrepresented in the art world um i feel like women are underrepresented period that's one so take that and then add on to being black, it's, it's sort of like a stigma, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we sort of have this stereotype holding over us too as a black woman. 
you know what I mean? Like black women are this way and only this way and they react this way and it's it's a box. So to think of us as a creative is kind of hard for some people. Like some people look at me and they can't figure me out. Because like I said, I'm I would try anything. So I'm I'm good at a lot of things because I try I just try it. You know what I mean? I look at I read the instructions, I look at someone who's good at it and I'll do it. And then I just happen to be good at it because I'm mimicking the person who's a professional. You know what I mean? So people kind of look at me like I'm an anomaly. They they can't understand how it is or, you know, where does this come from or anything like that. And to me, it's so simple because it's like, just do it. But now take that one on the world. Look at what people watch on TV and like they're they're so, their minds are only looking at things in, in this one view. So they can't even imagine a black woman being a fine artist and, and being an amazing fine artist at that, it's it's unheard of, you know, but that's just my perspective. I'm not saying that's true, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So speaking from your perspective, what has this journey been like for you and how do you see yourself contributing to the expansion of representation in art? I feel like just me being a voice of empowerment amongst especially young artists too because they're the future Mm. but giving them that encouragement that they can do it that's a really hard concept for a lot of people that they can do something they'll always think of millions of reasons why they cannot do something or why it's not going to work or you know but just actually one showing people you have to lead and then two also being able to provide resources, whether it be something they can go and look up, a forum, or somewhere they can go, events, people that they can talk to, um, connect them with different people and always try to be that type of person, you know, that that young black artists can go to. Because I feel like most of the time it's just artists don't know how to do certain things or where to go, where to turn especially when it comes to their art and making money with it. So if they have more people that they can go to and, and more resources that they can actually use, more knowledge that they can use these resources, then I feel like that would be a potentially great growth in the future. Yeah, and it's like res- ha- those resources like is, are so fucking key. And a lot of times it's, it's, you see it where people will get the resources, like they'll build whatever they build on their own. And that's cool. Like, you know, get your accolades, get your flowers, whatever. But then they don't share those resources. They almost become gatekeepers of those resources and then sit around and wonder like, well, why isn't like black expression greater or like more mainstream or whatever, like, you know, inflated intangible goal they have set forth that represents success. Yet they're not sharing the resources. They're not sharing the wealth, or they're making it difficult. Like you have to, like, oh, well, prove to me that you're that you deserve this. And right. it's not even. It's like, yeah, show and prove. Like you have to be have some level of talent. You have to provide some level of effort. But at the same time, it's a give and take type of relationship where it's just like, all right, I've done the work. Now you know what's up with these resources. Right. Yeah, I've gone through that too. Where you know. I'm- to professionals who didn't want to share anything. They get to this level, they feel like they're on this pedestal here, and they're like, well, look at all the work I had to put put up and get to this point. I was supposed to just give it to you for free, where to me, that's how it's supposed to be. Yes, you're a pipeline. You're not supposed to 
get to that point and not help anyone else get up there with you. You know what I mean? You're supposed to actually lend that knowledge to the next. And so it keeps going. Yeah, it's like crabs in a barrel, basically. <laughs> um, so switching gears, something a little bit more positive. What was it like to present your work at the Dreamville Festival in North Carolina? Well, so I did two pieces. Um, initially, I was hired or contracted to do like a field drill, and then it poured rain oh. for like the entire day, <laughs> like a day or two before the festival. So it was, it was hard to work under those conditions. It was kind of like, you know, in my head the whole time, I, I had the vision of like, yeah, I know how it's going to go. I'm going to do this and go again. Bust the snow loud. It's going to work out perfectly. I get there and they gave me the wrong, like what they described that they were going to have as the medium. Mm-hmm. It was something totally different. So I had to switch gears and run to the art store and like get supplies that would work with this one. <laughs> so um, after all that confusion and then it started raining, it was just like, all right, I, I'm, I'm still going to get this done. No problem. I hung plastic in a weird way, draped it over so I had a little room to work underneath. And then um, they had asked me to do the backdrop for Cole for his performance or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I did a lot of work for that, right? But it could have been there and they could have just tossed it as well at mm-hmm. the same time. So I, I wasn't really like, even though I was excited doing it, I knew how this could go. Right. So I, I didn't really feel good until I saw it on stage. Like the whole night, I was sick to my stomach. I couldn't even sleep. I was like, I just did all that work, and I don't even know if it's going to be up there. So the moment that I saw it on stage was like, and a, a point where I just acknowledged myself. You know, mm. where I was just like, like I'm proud of you. You know, I had to look at myself and say that because it was a lot of. Straight hour, I think I worked probably like 17 hours straight. I didn't have any ventilation. I was using oh. spray cans and like an 18-wheeler truck. Because like I said, it was pouring rain. Right, so right, right. I had to do it in a truck. Early. So it was like no air circulation. Like some of the guys, the um, I guess engineers, the state engineers and whatnot, they would come back and check on me like, are you, are you okay? Like... <laughs> You sure you don't want to step out for a second? Like, this is a lot. Like, you know what I mean? Just going through all that. But just to see that come through and then, you know, seeing all the photos afterwards and the videos with my work just on the stage. It was great. It was a great feeling. But then it was also like, okay, now I can do bigger. For sure. Like, you know, I can. Oh, I always want to get better no matter what I do. I always, it's a really good feeling, but I'm right back to, all right, how can I improve? What did I do at this point that I could change and, and make it better for the next one? So. Right. So that was just like a stepping stone almost to like something larger and greater. That was never the intended end. Like, oh, shit, I made it. It was know. just like, fuck that. I didn't make it. I'm There's just making end. it. And Yeah. <laughs> What's that? That's like a whole some other shit, too, because it's like <laughs> a lot of people don't realize the anxiety and like pressure and just the bullshit that comes with being like an artist like it's a lot a whole lot everyone there when they asked me they're like oh yeah i can't can just paint that real quick 
So when I seen what they were actually talking about, which was way more than what they described on the phone to me as usual, <laughs> I, you know, in my head, I had a, I just set in my head that I was going to get it done. Like even when I felt tired, literally my body just didn't want to move anymore. I'm sleepy. I would snap out of it and say, I was like, no, King, you have to finish this and just snap out of it and get a whole new, new energy. So that taught me a lot about myself as well as when things like that happen, because they're going to be, that's how art is. Like there's always, you got this much time to create this imaginable like mural and whatnot. And, you know, people really just trust you to do that. That's it. You know? So I had to find ways within myself to actually just, just do it. I took like no breaks, barely had any water or whatever. Like not saying that that's the smartest thing to do, but you know, in that point in time, I had to get it done. So I was really hungry for that and, and it made it. Yeah, that's so. like some <laughs> samurai Spartan shit. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. I still kept, like, my clothes from that day was, like, just full of oil with um, after spray and whatnot from aerosol cans. So I just literally took it off. It was, like, paper. Like, it literally, my clothes signed like this. Mm, mm. I kept them. As a reminder to myself, like, this is what you can do. Right. Yeah. Like, there's nothing that I cannot do because look at this moment right here, you know? So. Yeah. And one day you just take a picture of that and then you put it on, like, a yoga mat and you sell that. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Although I probably would never do that with that design. But I could. <laughs> so what grounds you and keeps you going? Hmm. My mom, and also my nieces and my nephew. Like the way how they admire what I do, it's unbelievable. Mm. So that's definitely a driving force. Mm. So family is like, would you say family is like the foremost thing that makes oh, every day possible? Absolutely. And then of course the fact that I just, I love what I do. I really do enjoy it. Um, and the people that I meet along the journey, it, it's amazing. Souls I come in contact with and share with, and I've, I've had people cry over my work. Mm. You know what I mean? Me yeah. presenting that and then crying over it was an unbelievable feeling. Yeah. You know, I, I could never stop doing what I do. Yeah, it's like seeing other people get emotional about something that, you know, you have such a deep connection to and then sharing that. I did like a installation um, a couple years ago and it was uh, about mental health. And it was basically an interactive installation where people would um, go to this app on their phone and they would talk about a mental health issue that they live with, whether it be anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, et cetera. And then for everybody that reported, it would make like a, it would throw like a paint splash onto this digital canvas and it was geolocated. So like it was a map of Pittsburgh and like, it would just throw a paint splash onto wherever they were located. And so like the intention was like that it would fill up with like all of these, like, you know, splashes of color to show that like, yo, you're not alone. There's like this, this whole collage of people that's like, you know, just dealing with shit the same as you. And it was just like dope to hear people, like even in passing, just like talk about it, say like, yeah, that was really cool. Like, you know, I felt like 
I wasn't the only person that lived with like depression and everything like that. Cause like mental health is like a big issue for me. And like, I'm always going to like talk about it. And I use it as like inspiration. One of my inspirations for everything that I create. Absolutely. And unfortunately it's something that doesn't get talked about in like um, black, many black communities, which I feel like it definitely needs to be. And it does. Cause so many people, like we are, we pretty much exist with PTSD, like being black, being born black, you have PSD, PTSD. Yeah. It's like, how can you not be upset with all the things that you, you learn about? And the more and more you learn, it's like, what? I, I you know, I had a, I had a point where reading uh, medical apartheid, something like that, for example, I had to literally. It took me a very long time to read that book because after a few pages, I would have to put it down and meditate and just kind of calm myself down because I was really upset, extremely upset from things that has been happening and out of my control. And, you know, this is our history, basically. So it's, it's, it's sad at the same time. It's like, how do you sleep at mm. night knowing that these things are happening? And then the younger generation that are coming up, they're going to experience these things. It's like inevitable. So it's rough. Yeah. I mean, can't change it, so yeah. push forward, you That's know. That's way to deal with it. Yep. Absolutely. So speaking of color, your work uses a lot of color in it. Like uh, that's the one of the things that really drew me to your work is just seeing the the sheer amount of color that you use in each of your pieces, which is why I want and I once I get some change in my pocket. I'm going to be like, yo, I need some custom Tim's stat. But what role does color play in your work? And how did you develop your style into this menagerie of color? Well, color is harmony. And it represents like each color to me represents a feeling or an emotion. In a sense. Or it represents people, different characteristics of people. So all of those coming together harmoniously is that's the way how things actually should be. And that's that's kind of how like my brain put these things together and how I choose these colors to work with each other. It's just sort of having a knowledge of color relation. Um, like having, you know, knowledge of coloring and helping how colors relate to each other. Basically, and that's what I'm drawn to in nature. So I try to mimic those colors that I see outside as well and utilize that together in my pieces. And how does that affect your mood? Like when you see all these colors or when you see individual colors? It's blissful. It's just honestly really, really peaceful, especially while I'm doing it and while I'm blending the colors together just seeing how they affect each other and putting certain colors together and also being able to make a mistake and come back and, you know, cover it up with something else and it's totally different. So, yeah. So how, like, what goes through your head while you're putting all these colors together? I feel like just knowing, I, I mean, I naturally have always enjoyed color. So I, I agree with it. And 
I've always paid attention to certain combinations of colors. And so all of these things are like running through my brain and then I might have a certain feeling at the time and grab this color. So if I start with one color, I'll, that's the base. So I'll go off that base and maybe go with another color, two shades down from it, then go with another color straight across from it. So it pops out a little bit more and then more subtle colors within the same tone. Um, but all of these things, it's almost like I'm, I'm running numbers or doing math in my head while I'm, I'm creating. But I, I also like to take a lot of times not necessarily have a plan initially, just so I can just allow my mind to naturally pick whatever I feel is, is you know, my state of mind at that time. Mm. And how does art set you free? Wow, so, I mean, it's taken me all over the world. And so I've had a lot of people look at it as just a hobby. And like, oh, how are you going to make money off of this? How are you going to make a living? But what do you do, you know, with a condescending tone of like, yep. I work. You play, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so I feel like being able to make a living and do what I do continuously is super reassuring to me to continue doing what I'm doing because I, I see it. And then I also have seen and learned the business side of things as well, where art is like real estate. Mm. It's an investment. So for all those people who think it's a hobby and they think it's a joke and a game and I'm playing around, cool. But when those investments are rolling in and where you're you're actually solidifying and ensuring a base amount you can only go up from that base amount in those moments that you know that's what i'm looking forward to mm. so even though art is like being taken out of schools and also not really treated with the respect that it deserves because it's everywhere mm. you use art for everything so I feel like I'm one of those ambassadors for art and for other artists. And that's why I like to share my resources and connect people and do these things. One, we should. And then two, art is very important. We need to keep that alive. So we need to keep all artists empowered and feeling like they can actually do this and live at the same time. Mm. Yeah, that was like you articulated that so well. And I'm going to come around and be an idiot and say to all those people who think art's just a hobby, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Because this shit is like, it's my livelihood. It's Kandaka's livelihood. Like, Mm -hmm. this is how we live. This is how we eat. This is like what we breathe. And for you to to, to belittle it by thinking, it's like, oh, it's just like throwing color on a piece of paper. It's just like, yo, you don't know. How many hours <laughs> I thought about blending this red, which is not even red, it's vermilion, right. <laughs> it's crimson <laughs> with this blue. Like it's it's wild how underappreciated it is, and just like how it's like it is like you said disappearing from schools. It's it's a shame because arts are all around us, and we wouldn't be able to exist without art. Um, On that note, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. 
And we are back. So, you had mentioned in the uh, the pre-interview survey that I sent out that you enjoy people enjoying your food. So, what role does food play in your creative process? And also, what sorcery goes down in your kitchen? <laughs> sorcery. Well, so food in relation to like a painting, you say art because art's so broad, but food is like the colors in each piece. So their relation, just as each color has, you know, something directly across from it, it relate a little bit more than something couple dials away same thing with food the pairings of flavors and like certain seasonings that you use that's the joy of it and of course the end dish that's your mm. that's your piece right right um so i mainly cook plant-based meals i can cook whatever people ask for but um mainly plant-based so I get pretty creative with the dishes. <laughs> okay, so what's your favorite like go-to dish to prepare for? Let's say it's a two-person, uh, like a two-person dinner. Something super easy. I'll do like an oyster mushroom stir fry. Okay, it, it tastes like chicken and broccoli in the Chinese store. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Everybody else does it, but in New York, that's a staple. So oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Chicken and broth, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so how about, I'm going to throw another challenge out to you. You got uh, seven people, three of them gluten-free, two of them are dairy-free, lactose intolerant, and they want a brunch. What are you doing? What magic are you creating? Well, I can do... Chicken and waffles, which is actually fried oyster mushrooms, and I can make the waffle mix with a gluten-free flour. Okay, I thought that was gonna be a challenge. You used to like, oh yeah, not chicken and waffles. I mean, because that's what I do. So, yeah, I know a lot of people who brunch too. So. Right, All right. I'm gonna end this because I'm just gonna end up embarrassing myself <laughs> <laughs> trying to find something to challenge you on this when you are clearly. A warlock. I told you, I know how to do a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. So, as a maker of many things, how do you know when you've achieved success? And what does that look like? Hmm. What does success look like? I feel like I would... I'm not going to be satisfied with having one thing with me being successful as the mark of me being successful. I feel like me being successful is being able to continue doing what I'm doing and be able to teach and lend my hand and help as many people as possible. That's where my success lies. Mm. So more so in the sharing of resources and like, I mean, would you say part part of that would be creating a network 
Or are you against the concept of like networking and it's just like, no, everybody, like, you know, find your own way. I'll just provide the resources for you. Oh, no, I'll definitely be a part of a network. I'm a team player. I used to play basketball too, so I know how that works. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now you are like a Renaissance woman. <laughs> you just like, <laughs> what else can you do? Can you dig ditches? Like pink cars. <laughs> I can change the tire. How about alchemy? Have you mastered turning lead to gold? No, not yet, but uh, I am learning. (laughs) (laughs) So what advice uh, can you give to other uh, Black artists? We can get even a specific saying, young Black women out there making dope shit that are either overlooked or underfound. I would say go and do guerrilla marketing, which is literally go out on the street and you can check your your town or your city's uh, regulations on like having your art on display. Mm. So I believe like somewhere in like New York, I don't think that you need your vendor's license if you're selling books or art. Okay. You can literally just set up a table and, you know, have prints or your actual art people are going to stop and they're going to talk to you and that's what you need to do connect with people mm. literally on the ground that's the best way um, and then I would say to also keep a database of people you meet especially in the fields that you want to be in or you see yourself being you know, you meet a professional that might be in a place where you want to be, talk to them, get their information, ask them questions on how to get to where they are and, you know, learn as much as you can from them because that's what you want to do. It doesn't mean that you have to be where they are. You can surpass them for sure, but um, they have a lot of information that they are willing to share with you. Some some people are out there that won't, but for the most part, you'll find people who are willing to help and you just have to ask the question. So don't be afraid to raise your hand mm. and say, hey, I need some help. Or well, how do you do that? Because that's what I do everywhere I go. Right, right. <laughs> I used to be the annoying one in class, always raising my hand like, whoa, 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 whoa. What you just said doesn't really make sense to me. Yep. Can you explain that? And people would be in the class like, can't, seriously? <laughs> We're almost done. You, you really? You have another question? Okay. <laughs> I, I remember... Grades, I was in grade school? No, it was uh, high, junior high school. I asked the teacher, but who decided that gold was the standard of wealth? Like, what makes gold so special? Who was the first person to say, like, I'm going to take that shiny nugget and make it, like, currency? As she looked at me, her mouth opened like, because it's gold. And that was the fucking answer. Like, that was it. Everybody in class just fucking laughed at me. And I was just like, no, nah, I'm serious. Like, what, like, who's to say gold is so special? Why not turtle shells or, like, you know, like, pen caps? Like, who decided? And so, like, at that moment, I learned that just, like, one, school ain't shit. <laughs> and two, it's just, like, people in authority, like, they don't always have the answer it's just like sometimes you do have to go out 
and you have to find the answer yourself, but you should never stop asking questions because that's kind of sort of what they want you to do when they don't have the answers. They just want you to shut the fuck up so that they can keep delivering whatever bullshit is that they're delivering. Literally, it's bullshit you. And and a lot of people, if they get caught up like that, they'll just get upset because they really think like, how dare you put me on the spot? I'm the teacher. Just listen to what I'm saying. That's it. Right. But it's more so like, I'm just using my logic here and exercising that. That that's all, and and that's how I was all the time in school. So mm. I got into trouble a lot because of that. Actually, yeah. I mean, I feel like <laughs> it's that's good though, because it's just like they say that the that what the nail that sticks out gets hammered down, but it's just like fuck that. I'm gonna break the hammer. Like I hope right. you break the hammer head on me. I would love to be that nail that fucks the whole hammer up. <laughs> I'm the one. <laughs> All right. It has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Um, I want you to let the people know what you have going on right now. So if there's anything you'd like to promote or plug, now's your chance. So currently I'm working on a cookbook. Um, and, and that's sort of at the forefront right now. But I still do my art as well here and there so that's always um up and running you can check out my instagram facebook and um anything google gmail it's all the same art by candy rose at gmail the email and art by candy website so everything is the same name all right cool oh anything else um So I, I just want to say a few encouraging words for young Black artists, too. Black artists in general is that this is our time to actually, you know, scribe in history, where this is our, our place. We have to make our mark. This is what people will be reading about or viewing hundreds of years later. You know, this is where we have to make that stand and and actually visualize our conditions of today so they can't tell these lies so they can't fool anybody else because we're telling our story you know so we we can never give up what we're doing because it's super important for our future yep fuck these politics seriously time change system for sure and the last question i'll ask you before we go is what is black Black is a shade. <laughs> That's Sweet. what it is. That's all we need to know. All right. <laughs> thanks, Kandaka. Been a pleasure <laughs> to talk with that. you. Absolutely. Yep. Hopefully we hear more from you in the near future. Um, and we'll yeah. definitely like, you know, make sure everybody knows what you're up to in the description of the podcast and on the blog. Thank you so much. All right. No problem. Thanks for coming on. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to the What is Black podcast, a McCoy creative project. For more information and bullet notes that provide deeper context, check out the feel notes on whatisblackpodcast.com. Your support is always much appreciated. So if you want to toss us a few dollars to keep this going, visit Kofi.com slash what is black podcast. That's Kofi spelled K O dash 
ko-fi.com slash whatisblackpodcast. If you don't have the loot, that's cool. Support us by sharing this with your people, following us on Spotify, or rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you drop us five stars, we might just shout you out and answer your general questions on Black Artness. If you need to contact us, hit up whatisblackpod at gmail.com or on Instagram at whatisblackpodcast. And to quote street entrepreneur Tron, when it's Thanksgiving, I'll be passing around turkeys like Nino Brown, baby. Peace.